Welcome to the Tools for Today's Farmers podcast, brought to you by the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. Our podcast will cover current issues in farming and will provide insight from a wide variety of experts in agriculture. Now let's get farm strong. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Tools for Today's Farmer podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Dilhoff. And I'm your co-host, Abby Heidenreich. And today we are happy to have Rob Braun here with us. Rob, you are a jack of all trades. Um, I know when I asked you for your um, title information, you you gave me a little bit of everything. So I'm just going to say you do a little bit of everything, and I will leave this as an opportunity for you to introduce yourself and just give us a little bit of background information on you and what you do. Okay, sounds good. I uh, was a television news journalist for 40 years and had uh, quite a bit of success and feel very fortunate. Uh, during most of that time, I also had a couple of farms. Um, with the help of Rachel's grandfather, actually, who pointed me in the right direction years ago. Um, that's our connection. So it was, you know, just something that I loved doing. My uncle had a dairy farm when I was a kid. My father had um, a horse ranch. I say that, you know, like it was a big place, but it wasn't. We used to board 40 head of horses. And my father was also in television. So he sort of made that my problem, um, which I learned to love. Um, so I've always just kind of weaved in and out of farming um, in one sort or, or another for most of my life. Then my children came along and uh, one day we visited a farm and my son got manure on his shoes and uh, he about had a cow. He, he just didn't really know how to act because they got a little dirty with a little manure. So I thought, hmm, probably time to get back into farming and teach them about the circle of life. And that's what took us to Kentucky because uh, frankly, I couldn't afford land in Ohio. And Ohio is where I did most of my growing up. Um, and I wanted flat grain ground in Ohio. And it was back then, it was going for $5,000 an acre. Wow. And it just was beyond my ability. So I came to Kentucky where most ground is not flat. And I have mostly uh, cattle ground, about 300 acres of cattle ground, and then I've got 110 acres of tillable ground. And that's how we got started. Wow. Wow. So you had, that's that's a really interesting uh, story of how you, you got to that point. And I know, I, I think it's funny you talk about your son and getting his shoes a little dirty. I think growing up, a lot of my friends were in the city and then coming out to the farm um, it, you could smell, it was a hog farm. You could smell the farm uh, about three mile radius. And my friends would leave thinking it's, like, it's in my clothes. It's in my clothes. Everybody knows that I was on a hog farm and it is something that when you grow up with that, it, it's a great experience. And I'm sure your son, um, would have a lot of really positive things to say about it now, thanking you for letting him get his shoes dirty and, and all that. He loves it. And, and my daughter did too. They, they could drive anything we had from the time they were about 10 years old. Um, and it just was satisfying to be there to, to see them 
grow in the value of being a part of the circle of life. And it just was uh, something that, you know, it sets you up, I think, in life to have an understanding of what it takes to make a living and, and uh, where your meat comes from. It doesn't always come from Kroger. Right. <laughs> and, and I know there are a lot of people that that was another thing too. We, my, my grandpa, he had chickens and there would be a, a chicken killing day once uh, in the summer. And I brought some of my friends and I'm pretty sure they're <laughs> still traumatized to this day from experiencing that. It, but it is, it's very true. That's Kroger doesn't just go in the back and, uh, you know, concoct a, a chicken to sell that it, it comes from a farmer and, that's great that you were able to share that. A lot of people don't get a chance to experience that. And it sounds like that's really shaped them. And obviously that's shaped you and what you've been wanting to do now. And now that you're um, away from the, the TV station and able to take a breath and really get into the farming, how, how has that made you feel? Well, uh, at first it was freeing. Um, and it was nothing but enjoyable. Uh, and then you, so it was part of my semi-retirement. I factored this in as income and um, a way to augment other sources of income. Uh, and then the realities of today's farming, you know, I bought the place 22 years ago and things have changed dramatically for the small farmer. Um, and then I began to feel the anxieties involved with planting a crop and praying for the weather and hoping the best and watching that, um, you know, what you're in the red, you're in the black, you're in the red, you're in the black, and it just bounces around. And when you finally do the math, and I'll tell you what caused me to do the math in just a moment, but when you finally do the math and you stop living by your emotions as they relate to the farm, and you realize that you're really not making much money. Um, it changes everything. Uh, and that's what happened to us. So we were largely growing soybeans on the grain farm. Um, and then we would rotate corn occasionally. Uh, but our combine burned up. And then I, that's what caused me to go back and run the numbers mm -hmm. hard. Um, I, you know, I used to do it just sort of in my head because, it, you know, I, I, I didn't need it to eat necessarily but it was part of my uh, retirement plan and when I ran the numbers that included then trying to find a combine to use on 94 acres only mm. um, it just wasn't possible there was no way to make the numbers work which I found to be extraordinarily disappointing so that that crushing moment and that realization caused me to take a different tack. Uh, so today, I lease um, a lot of my ground to uh, one of the largest farmers in the county, who's a friend of mine. Um, and he is a much better farmer than I ever was. I've learned, actually, things from him. Um, and I still farm the hay off of this farm and use it for the cattle. But my focus has changed dramatically. So... Where that led us was to what are we going to do with the farm to cause it to make money? And, and my son stepped in and said, I'd like to try intensive farming 
And I had no idea at the time what that was. And essentially it's a vegetable operation. Um, when I was a kid, I worked on a truck farm in the, the city of Cincinnati that a friend of mine had. So I had some idea of what it was like to incorporate greenhouses in trying to do vegetables. And so we did that. And in short, uh, we grew vegetables for Findlay Market in downtown Cincinnati on two acres. And we focused all of our energies on that. And we used no machinery, no fertilizers that were not natural, no chemicals. And we would plant our vegetables. And as soon as that harvest was up, we'd plant right back in the same place another vegetable that would not take the same nutrients as the first and in some cases would put nutrients back um and that led us into i mean it was fascinating really to be able to generate that much money and that much product from two acres wow. and i was used to doing what everybody else is and that's you know planting soybeans harvesting them taking them the loads to market down on the Ohio River in a semi, multiple semi loads. Uh, and there were big dollars, but then there were big dollars involved in the costs. And this was, this was just fascinating. So we started making money with it. Um, and then we started making big money with it. And then another, you know, family sort of issue came along. And my son um, and his wife both have pretty big jobs in the city. Um, their idea was to scale it um, and operate it. He, he could operate everything, the water, um, other computer things, the refrigeration um, from his office because it was all on Wi-Fi. Wow. It was pretty uptown. It was. It was fascinating for me, too. I was learning a lot from him. Um, and then the realities of life came in for them, and they both got big promotions. And it fell to Jennifer and me to do the operation essentially alone. And at 65 years old, that was too much. It was too much labor, too much time, uh, and not enough benefit to cause us to keep doing it. So we have since not stopped it. We have diminished the operation. And now we grow a big bunch for us and our friends. And then we take care of some food pantries with the food that we grow. Um, so that's the short story. We still do. I have about 100 head of cattle and, um, you know, the, the numbers on cattle are better than they were a little while ago. So we still make a little bit of money there. I've negotiated a good deal with my buddy who rents the land. So I'm actually netting more money now than I was when I was farming it, which is great. Wow, that is interesting. And um we talk a lot about resiliency in our programming too. And I know Abby will um, probably want to touch on this in a, in a minute. Um, it sounds like you've been very resilient in how you have operated your farm. And that can be tough for a lot of farmers if they're used to doing it a certain way, being accepting of that. Do you find that, well, you, you mentioned that there's a difference in how your son's approach versus maybe yours when it comes to the farming and the technology involved. Have you seen a lot of other farmers in your area embrace technology in that way? Um, the big guys do uh, because they have to in order to manage it. And it helps them with the application of 
um, fertilizer and everything else and their seeds. And, you know, you know what it is with the satellite help. Um, it really has changed everything. Um, so, but what I have noticed is that a lot of the guys who farmed in a small way, um, because that's the way their daddy did it and they haven't evolved and have not, you know, kept up with the extension agents to, to learn more about how to do it more efficiently and continue to take from the land and not give enough back. Um, that those are the guys who are also in trouble. Um, and it really is just an education thing. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't know anybody anymore who's farming. Well, that's not true. I know a handful of guys in this county who are farming in a big way and don't do anything else. But almost everybody else who farms on a smaller level like me has another job. I mean, you have to. Where are you going to get health care and afford it? Um, it? It's just something you have to do. You used to be able to rely on, you know, one earner's salary and the other person farmed. And now that's even tough. So, you know, farming for the small guy or the family farm in quotations is largely going to go away. That's what worries me the most, that we're going to be buying all our food and eating all our meat from these enormous producers who may not do it in the best way uh, for us as individuals to consume. Um, and I think the old-fashioned way was a little more less chemical, you know, less bad things for your body. And uh, that's what I'm most worried about. You know, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, sitting down and looking at the numbers and making the decision to change some things. And that sounds like it was a very stressful time for you. Can you talk a little bit about the, you know, experience of, you know, coming to terms with the, the decision um, to change how you're, how you're managing things. Can you go into that a little bit about how that, well, yeah. how that helped? I mean, it brought uh, panic, first of all, because my dream crashed. Um, secondly, it was, can I afford to keep the farm? Um, because I, unlike most of the other people I know in this county, didn't get any land or machinery from a family member. I had to buy it. So I had a whole lot more outlay than a lot of people. So I needed a whole lot more income to cover that nut. So I was at a disadvantage in that regard. Um, but I am a businessman. So I, I, it, it really is all about the numbers. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think en enough guys look at the numbers, uh, at least seriously. There's a lot of emotion in farming that I have enjoyed. And I've also felt in a negative sense because it uh, just layers massive amounts of pressure. Um, and then you have the lonely part, which I enjoy, but it's also up to you only to fix it. Um, and, you know, I think it was just my practical nature that caused me after a number of years to really run the numbers instead of emotionally running the numbers. Um, because, you know, we would make decent money for two years and then we'd lose for one and then we'd we'd make for one and lose for two. So when you factored it out the averages, um, it was not making money, you know, enough money to do what we were doing. And then when you, the, here's the element that a lot of guys forget is they don't put in the machinery costs on repairs and new machinery and, you know, all the oils and everything you have to have to make that machinery run. 
or they will do things like not service their machinery because they can't afford it and then the machinery goes down. So, I mean, it's just a vicious circle if you're not willing to swallow the pill of um, reality. Uh, and I just think it's so important that we do that. And then you got, you know, th then you watch what was once a beautiful family farm get cut up and become a subdivision, which is just earth shaking to me. Heartbreaking, yeah. I think that that's one of those things every farmer's worst nightmare is when you put all your hard earned energy and money and everything you have into this dream. You wanted to see it be successful, but there's things you can't control. Uh, there, there are some things you can control. You can control your operation in terms of maintenance on your machines if, as long as you have the funds to do so, but you can't control that weather. And then if things do go bad, you have to figure out, well, what's enough? What, how, how far can I take it before I have to make a choice? Yeah, before it destroys you. I mean, I, I watch a lot of guys not even stop to think about it until they're already destroyed. Uh, and that just is just, it's not worth it. I mean, you might as well face it on the front end and try and save it at some, in some way. That's why I wanted to mention those vegetables because that was a legitimate way to really uh, make money. You can make six figures doing that if you do it full time and you concentrate on it and do it right um, and go to a couple of different um, farmers markets um, during the week. But there is money to be made. And this is the time in society where people are trying to eat better than they did when I was a kid, when all the processed foods came out. So the farmer's markets are jamming and there is money to be made. So I think yeah. it's worthy of some study. Uh, and I imagine the extensive or the extension office is the place to go to learn. Yeah. And that's, that's a big goal with, with extension in every state is to be that resource of uh, to the farmers and just give that education, maybe that little boost. What is, because hearing you talk, it's very fascinating uh, seeing how you come, uh, you approach it. I think like you mentioned with the emotion involved in farming, I know uh, from personal experience uh, from my family, there's, if, if there's something that doesn't go just quite right, um, to come to the logical conclusion of what needs to be done isn't easy, but it sounds like that is an, an easy choice for you. You see something that you know there might need to be a change and you do it. For somebody who's hesitant, what advice could you give uh, to see things a little bit clearer to make the right decision? The, the best advice I would give is twofold. One is hurry up. And secondly, is put the numbers on paper, look at them honestly, do the math and figure out where you really are and then try and come up with a way to make the numbers better by doing some things differently. Um, and I think there's options. So, for instance, if you wanted to have the vegetable operation and you still wanted to do cattle and you still wanted to do hay, which you have to do if you have the cattle, um, there's money to be made, probably enough to live on, um, I would think. Well, if you really do the vegetables and you're making six figures, there's more than enough. But I, I just think that it's a nowadays it's going to have to be a, a combination of a lot of different elements in the farming in order for 
your end result, which is the bottom line, is it's not whether your soybeans are perfect. It's the money that you generate as a result. That's the, the success or failure every year. Um, you know, we used to look at the soybeans and think, boy, we're just killing it. Look at them. They're beautiful. They're so full of beans and on and on and on. And, and then forget to do the math. So it's the math. It's the math is all that matters. So I would say do it sooner rather than later. So you don't lose it. Absolutely. Did you find it being that your son has, uh, you know, that, that financial background, did you find that that was helpful to have someone like him uh, uh, on your side, just not only from a, a family perspective, but maybe his way of thinking helped as well? Well, yes. I mean, my my son is a CPA and he does um, financial analysis on deals for a Fortune uh, 500 company. And so he thinks practically all the time and he knows how to leave the emotion out. And that's the key because, I mean, I have to tell you, Rachel, when I go out, even in the dead of winter to feed cattle and it's snows on and it's beautiful, a little bit of sun and I'm freezing. I, I am in my element. I feel closer to God out there. I feel fortunate to be there. I look around and I see this ecosystem that runs 24 seven, even when I'm not there. And it is a feeling like you can't get anywhere else. You can't buy that experience. You can't go to a resort and feel that there is just something so special about it that it's intoxicating. And I think that that's what we don't want to get rid of as farmers. We love that. We love to dig in the dirt, make a product and sell it at market and be fortunate enough to be able to come back the next year and do it again. But Robert was able to put everything on a spreadsheet. And when you look at it on a spreadsheet, there's no emotion on that paper. And it either works or it doesn't. And, and that's what's key. And, and you know, we're, we're fighting for our continued existence as family farmers. And if we don't do it smart, then the corporations are just going to run over us and, you know, we'll be gone. I think, too, um, you know, there was an article written about you last year. And in that article, there's a quote from you. Um, about your farm. And you said, it was like my own therapist. This was perfect for me. And it was a nice separation from the city. Um, in our programming, we, a lot of times we talk about the therapeutic benefits of the farm. And what is it about the farm or the farm life that is therapeutic for you? Uh, you know, I, I think that every spring, it's like you get another chance. It starts over. Your life starts over everything lives again and it's and it's energizing um for 40 years i was a news band in the inner city and quite literally when i would go home at night at about 12:15 i would hear gunshots in the neighborhood where i worked and then i would come to the country for 3 nights a week and i would hear gunshots and it meant nothing but in the city you hear a gunshot, somebody's getting hurt or potentially getting killed. And so the therapy came from the fact that there were no worries in the country. But 
when you begin to farm full time or close to full time and you look at it for an income with which to feed your family, then all of a sudden the pressures come on. And I think those pressures can ruin what is so special about farming if you're not careful. And that's why I'd like to encourage people to get busy figuring it out because what we love about it could go away. And, and that would just be a sin, wouldn't it? Or to lose the farm that your daddy gave you because you were too stubborn to try to rework it. Um, and rework it is what everybody has to do. But it's not unusual. I mean, people rework their lives all the time. They get a different job. They move to a different part of the country. Um, it's just that as a farmer, you tend to stay where you are because you have this plot of land. Um, but trying to reconfigure your life is common to everyone. For instance, a friend of mine is um, George Clooney. He, he says that you have to reinvent yourself in Hollywood every five years. Otherwise, you're going to go away. You're not going to be on the top of the list anymore. So he then became a, a director, and then he became a producer of movies, and then he acted a little bit. And now he does more production than acting. And so it's the same on the farm. It's the same for somebody who lives in the city. You just have to stay on the cutting edge of doing what it is you do best and try to cause that to make you money. Um, and I think that, you know, as farmers, we get a little uh, in our groove, in the furrow, and we stay there because it's comfortable. Um, nobody's really nudging us to do anything else, but it's the change that is going to keep you alive in the business of farming. Um, you know, by going to the co-op and talking to those guys about different options or finding different uh, cheaper ways of doing things or more natural ways of doing things that may or may not be less expensive. Instead of, I'm just going to buy some nitrate for my hay this year. You know, you think about is, is that putting nitrate on only going to be nutritious enough for those cattle when it's five below? Or do I have to do so, add something else, some potash or whatever else to your ground to make the pH right? I mean, the whole it's a it's a intellectual endeavor as much as it is a physical endeavor now, as compared to what it was, you know, fifty years ago. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that really speaks to the resilience of of farmers as a whole. Um, it takes a lot of, of courage and strength to look at something um, that you've been doing your whole life, that your family's been doing before you, and recognize that, you know, some changes need to be made. But, you know, that's something that, like you said, it's, it's natural in farming to make changes as we go, to adapt to changing, you know, markets and climates and um, consumer demands. There's it's always evolving, always changing. So we shouldn't be afraid or, um, you know, hesitant to make changes in our farming operations and our business plans and things like that, because that's the natural progression of things. You know, that's, that's what farming is all about is changing with the challenges as they come. It is. And, and if you don't, you run the risk of losing your farm or not being able to leave it for your kids. Um, and, you know, Lord knows a lot of kids aren't staying on the farm anymore. It's, it's a whole nother matter than it was, you know, in the 50s. People just knew that their kids were going to stay on and build a house on the property and everybody was going to live together and work together. But now it's different. You know, the, the kids are not 
I mean, we raised tobacco here for years in Kentucky. And then the government um, took away the, you know, running it by the poundage instead uh, of by market price. It went to market price and then the government essentially bought us out. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but it, what it really did was to shut down the little farmer. Um, so the bigger farmers are still raising, you know, 50 acres or 100 acres of tobacco and there's money in it. And the deal is they were smart enough to have the land to do that, learn how to really raise tobacco, not just like their granddaddy did, but raise it in a manner that was going to be what the market wanted. And those guys, are they're raising tobacco, they're raising soybeans, they're raising some corn, they raise hay, they raise cattle, they raise pigs, and they have a lot of different income streams that are reaching the bottom line rather than all of their eggs in one basket. It's the diversified guy, at least in, from what I can see, who is still a successful, productive farmer who's making money because the you know one year tobacco is not going to do well the next year it's going to be soybeans and we all know that the farmer is the last guy who's going to benefit from a market increase in price it's just like why all the milking operations went out those people couldn't afford it because they were being paid the same dollars per hundred that they got when the, when their daddy was doing it so that's what you got to fight against and diversification I think is key. And if you can find a way to have a co-op on machinery, um, I mean, it's farmers are competitive. So it's hard for farmers to believe that they can have a partnership with their neighbor that's going to benefit them as much as it benefits the neighbor. But if you can find a way to have that relationship on machinery and share, um, all the better. And that is definitely something I, I like how you mentioned the competitiveness that as much as we talk about the community of farmers and how they, they would do anything for each other. I've seen articles of a farmer being sick and then the, the community coming together and farming their, their fields for them. But there is that underlying of, okay, well, you're making X amount. I want to make X amount plus some more. And but finding that that balance, finding that group that can really help, it's it's easier said than done, but it is there. And it sounds like you found that. Um, and, and I know we've talked a lot about the different stressors that go on with farming, which there is more than we've even touched the surface on in this conversation that exists. But you you've also talked about some positives and we like to really encourage and incorporate and highlight those positive things. So um, what else on a positive note do you see in farming these days? You know, I, I, Rachel, it's, it's the same thing that it always was in my mind. Um, when I wake up in the morning and I walk out on the porch with my cup of coffee and I'm looking over the land and hearing the cattle and watching where they are and looking for new babies. And I mean, it is a gift from God. It is the place to be. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's quiet. I can't see another soul. I interact as I choose to rather than bumping into people to get on the subway car to go to work. Um, it, it's just a, a lifestyle that if you can preserve it, um, you can share it with your family and then your children's children. 
And I, I think that's the most positive thing in farming. There are solutions to, to help you make more money if you're open to it, um, thereby reducing your stress, if you, as I just said, if you're diversified. Because you know that, you know, most guys identify themselves as, you know, I'm a pig farmer or I'm a, a cattle farmer or, you know, I, I farm corn. Or, so now you have to farm everything in order to make it work. So on the down markets, you're not getting blown out. Um, and I think just having success as a farmer through the diversification is the best thing that can happen to you. With that comes less stress. Right. So if you plan, if you, if you have a business plan and you decide what crops, and there are experts to help you for, at the university, what crops to put in, what's, what um, nutrients to add, what weed killers to use in order that you're going to come up with the best bottom line at the end of the year. Uh, and that reduces your stress overall because you have diversification. I think that's a positive thing. Then you can wake up in the morning and go out in your porch and still have that view. Yes, absolutely. And what, one last question for you, uh, knowing that, that you're a, a city guy, uh, country too, but you, you've had a little bit of, of both. Anyone who is a country person or a city person listening right now that is thinking about making that change, what advice for them would you give? You know, I, I, I never wanted to be the guy who came to the country and mowed his grass. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that come down here and buy little plots of land and that's fine. They just do it for the escape. Um, but if you really want to farm, um, you're probably not going to come directly from the city and go full-time farming. But if you want to dabble till, till you, you learn, I would just say that it's much harder than it looks, much more expensive than it looks. And the same thing we're talking about other farmers is all of us need to run the numbers. I mean, if you're coming to the farm, you know, just for the escape, that's one thing or the experience, that's one thing. But if you're coming to the farm to form a business, that's a whole nother matter. So just do your homework. Yes, no. And that is fantastic advice. And I appreciate you sharing everything that you did with us today. This is been a, a wealth of information and we are very fortunate that you shared it with us and thank you again for talking with us and thank you everyone who was listening to the tools for today's farmers podcast if you would like more information about the purdue extension farm stress team please go to extension.purdue.edu slash farm stress or you can find us on facebook at purdue extension farm stress team if you or someone you know would like to be a guest or if you have topics you'd like to suggest for the tools for today's farmer podcast please leave us a message on the farm stress facebook page we use the hashtag farm strong on all of our posts to emphasize that the agriculture community is resilient and is strong enough to overcome anything that comes their way you can share your story of overcoming stress on social media using the hashtag farm strong Thank you again for listening. We're your hosts, Rachel Dillhoff and Abby Heidenreich, and have a great day.